Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. What is it? You know it's Victory Lane. Today is episode 66, and I'm going to label this the Stephen Wallace edition. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I know another 66 in NASCAR. I all, so today is the Stephen Wallace edition, and I'll explain why in a minute. But I also want to give a shout-out to Jeff Green. Remember that 66 Best Buy car? Lake Speed drove the 66 for a handful of years. Darrell Waltrip did it. Timmy Hill currently resides in the 66 car. Phil Parsons, whose son Stefan competes in the Chuck Series part-time. And Phil now is in the booth for FS1 in the Chuck Series. Dave Blaney, uh-huh, the Buckeye Bullet. Todd Bodine, Mr. Onion. Scott Riggs, they all piloted the number 66 car. But the reason I chose Stephen Wallace is because... I choose the driver that I most associate with the number when I think of it. Like when you think of three, you think of Dale Earnhardt. When you think of 43, you think of Richard Petty. When you think of four, you may think of Sterling Marlin. You may think of Kevin Harvick. 29, you think of Kevin Harvick. 48, you think of Jimmy Johnson. I don't know why, but when I think of 66, I think of Stephen Wallace and that five-hour energy flame scheme for Toyota when he was driving for, I think his dad's Rusty Wallace, when Rusty Wallace had his race team. I just think of Stephen Wallace when I see the 66 car and the number 66. So, Stephen Wallace, whatever you're doing these days, whether it's racing locally on short tracks or enjoying your life, this episode goes out to you, my friend. We're going to recap the boring 260 or so laps from Kentucky, resulting in an incredible finish with a first-time winner. Plus, the all-star race from Bristol with underglow, some slid-back numbers, the choose-cone rule that we never even got to see on television and uh, that was also a little bit of a snoozer and not a great finish. But it was something different, which I like. And as I say in the episode title, you don't learn if you don't try. So I applaud NASCAR for trying things and maybe learning some things to do, maybe learn some things to not do in the future. Also, a new racing series is being launched by two huge names. What could that be about? I'll tell you more. But we will start this episode, as we always do on Victory Lane, with a good, old-fashioned... <laughs> Again, back in my girlfriend's parents' place in Delaware, and I'm not muffling it at this point. Why bother? Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. By the way, I do have a new MacBook computer now. Um, it was stressing me out because my old one was out of storage, and it just was not functioning properly at all. I couldn't launch any applications. It was time for a new one anyway, and I had one on the way. But I finally was able to get everything transferred over. I sent in my old one to be returned and do a trade-in. And my new one is a sleek MacBook Air. Color is space gray. Double the amount of standard storage. Oh, and the battery works tremendously. Oh, it's just beautiful. So I'm doing it right now, uh, doing this podcast right now on my recorder, but I will be editing it on my computer with an SD card reader. And I am currently reading my notes on my new MacBook. It is gorgeous. Quaker State 400 from Kentucky Speedway. As I mentioned in the open, it was quite literally a terrible race for 90 to 95, even 99% of it. Single file, fall in line, follow the leader. 
Uh, Matt Weaver, who is definitely a not a proponent of this current rules package in the Cup Series, as I think a lot of people, myself included, are. You know, they call it slot car racing, where it's just you stick them on a track, they stick, they don't move, they don't go faster than one another, they're all the same speed, you can't pass. That's what this looked like, just going in circles for 260 or so laps. I mean, Eric Amarola, God bless him, and he is running well, but there should be no reason why that car should lead over 120 straight laps and only have one green flag pass for the lead in that time. And then the guy that passed him ended up having a shifter issue, which was Ryan Blaney. So Amarola won the first stage. Brad Keselowski got lucky with some pit strategy and won stage two barely over Blaney, so that worked out for the Blue Deuce. Uh, he also spun out Jimmy Johnson late in the going on the second or third to final restart, so he became public enemy number one at that point in time. Let's fast forward to the final green-white checkered restart, though, because that is how this race will be remembered, especially for the winner. But the winner, we will not reveal who that is right now. Here's a picture to be painted for you. Kevin Harvick leads Martin Truex Jr., and he got the lead because he went three wide on the 19 and the 12 on the restart prior down low. So the 4 and the 19, they're pulling away into turns 1 and 2. Then coming off of turn 4, the 4 slides up the track because he had a very sharp entry into turn 3. So he's sliding up with the 19. The 12 of Ryan Blaney says, oh, let me capitalize on this. He goes down low, tries to break the side draft, so he goes all the way to the apron, finds a bump that he didn't know was there. Nobody really knew it was there. He slides up, kicks up some dust, contact is made between the 4 and the 12, and out of nowhere, literally nowhere, a 41 of Cole Custer on the outside line makes it four wide and passes all of them before they even enter turn one. And you're thinking to yourself, there's there's no way, right? Like, no chance. And I was watching the race um, where I'm at right now on a smart TV, which is about like two minutes behind. So I'm following the race on Twitter. And when I see everybody tweeting, Cole Custer wins at Kentucky, I'm like, there's there's no way. Like, <laughs> how is this going to happen? But he does. He holds on for the win. I mean, it was smooth sailing just after turn one. All he had to do was just hold a pretty wheel, and that's what he did. So Cole Custer was gets the first win of his Cup Series career. That's obvious. He won seven Xfinity races last year. But I think what's more interesting is this is the first non-rain-shortened race to be won by a rookie full-time since Juan Pablo Montoya did so over a decade ago in 2007. Denny Hamlin did it before him, sweeping the races at Pocono in 2006. He had Chris Buescher, who I don't think he was full-time. No, he was full-time, but he didn't. No, he was. Yeah, okay, I got it. He was full-time. He also was a rookie, but it was rain-shortened at Pocono in 2015 or whatever year it was. That's right. Before that, I think you had Joey Logano who did so in 2009. Yeah, 2009 at New Hampshire. Um, and Justin Haley, of course, did it last year at Daytona in the summer race. But Cole Custer gets her done, fair and square, put himself in position to capitalize when the opportunity presented itself. And boy, did he do that. How the hell did that actually just happen? Who are you going to call? Cole Custer. Man, so, uh, I mean, honestly, I just knew I had to get to the top, and I knew I didn't want to get put three wide. Um, my spotter, Andy Houston, did a great job of making sure, our, you know, he kept me in the right spots and everything. And uh, it just uh, – those few race starts before, I had gone to the top before, and it just it worked out really good, and you're able to keep so much momentum up. So, 
Um, I was like, I just got to get to the top here and we'll see what happens. And the four and the 19 got together and it kind of opened a door for me to get a lot of momentum on them. And uh, just it played into our favor. So, and I mean, we just had an unbelievable car all day. Um, I mean, honestly, I, that was the best car I think I've driven in a long time. Um, it's just, you know, we've kind of mired in traffic the whole day, starting in the back. So um, once we got to the front, you just got to take advantage of it. Take advantage of it is what he did. That is for sure, if nothing else. And that's what I want to emphasize, too. As I said, this guy and his team, Mike Shiplett, his crew chief, who we're going to hear from in a minute, put themselves in position to capitalize and take advantage if and when the opportunity presented itself. It did, so they did, and they won. And it's still kind of shocking for Cole. I'm surprised, yes. Fair enough. <laughs> was, uh, you know, we have definitely done a lot better job these last few weeks. Uh, we've started putting the whole picture together um, and trying to, you know, you got to just have the whole thing working together, whether it's pit stops and restarts or me doing my job or having the car perfectly right. And when you're just a little bit off in this series, you're going to pay for it big time. So you can't be off in one area too much. So it's just, you got to perfect all those areas and work at it. And it's, you know, a lot of days of when your eyes are sore, trying to look at film and trying to figure everything out, but it's, it's just trying to put the whole picture together. And I think we still have ways to go. We still have things that we can do a lot better for sure. But uh, I think we're to the point now where we can race with these guys and we can uh, take advantage of it when we're near the front. How did the crew chief, Mike Shiplett, who, by the way, won those seven races last year in the Xfinity Series with Cole Custer as his driver, put that 41 Stewart Haas Racing Ford in position? Well, according to him, it was a little bit of lady luck combined with luck on the restart lanes because the top was the preferred groove at Kentucky. Good driving by the man behind the wheel. And again, circumstances, being at the right place at the right time. It all came together at the end. You know, he went on the third groove up there and made some moves, got up to six from 12th. And we were talking about just getting everything ready to go. And it's like, if you do that again, you got a real good shot at it. And it, it worked out great. Cole did an excellent job. Pit crew did a great job all day. The Haas tooling for Mustang was good all day. You know, we uh, played a little gamble to try to get some uh, stage points there for the second stage. And then that, that caution coming out, it kind of uh, put everybody in a little different position. So then that put us uh, good for the longer run to try to stay out and uh, catch a caution. And then yellow came out uh, one lap after we pitted. So we had to take the wave around and get back. But he battled all day. Um, everybody did a real good job. And I'm very proud of this team. And yep, that's about all we got to say about Kentucky. <laughs> Martin Truex Jr. finished second. Ryan Blaney, I believe, was third. And Kevin Harvick, um, if that race was one more lap, he probably would have finished in the 20s or so because his tire was a smoking. But um, th those are the four cats that were involved. All I got to say about this race and this track is um, I'd be completely okay and fine if, one, we never went back to Kentucky, and two, if UPS or FedEx or Amazon, whichever postal carrier uses the grounds as storage, I'd be completely fine if they just bought the place and turned it into a storage facility. Sorry, uh, but... That's just all I got to say about this race. I mean, it was it was one of the worst races that I have seen in a long, long time. And, you know, everybody in the industry gauges if it was a good race or not based on Jeff Gluck's was it a good race poll. And I don't have the results in front of me, but I think it was around 50-50. And the problem that I have with that is I can differentiate between a great all-time finish and a, pardon my French, shitty-ass race. And that was a shitty-ass race. Like, that, there's no bones about it. Um... 
I hope Steve O'Donnell would be honest with you and tell you that he thought that was not the best product on track either because, I mean, Matt Kenseth said it on his radio. He's like, wow, I can't believe they raced this package once and they're doing it again, and they're going to do it again next year. Um, I get that the package needs a lot of variables, whether it's the right tire, the right surface, the right temperature, the right track. I get all that. Um, but, I mean, again, you can't really beat around the bush with this one. Incredible finish, great finish, terrible race. And lucky for us, that was not the only race that we got to see at Kentucky this past weekend. We also had the Xfinity Series, the Truck Series, and the Arkham Menard Series from the Bluegrass State. I'll run through everything pretty quickly because nobody really cares about Kentucky, but I want to give everybody their due. It was Austin Sindrick's weekend, and nobody was going to tell him otherwise because he gets his first oval victory for Team Penske. Came on Thursday evening. That's important. He had some road course wins under his belt, but now he finally got that oval track win off of his back, just like A.J. Allmendinger did back at Atlanta a few weeks ago, and this is a dominant win at that. And you could argue that the 22 car of Sindrick now, along with Chase Briscoe in the 98, he's a legitimate title favorite, at least a contender. But, man, that butt whooping that he put on the field, it, it's hard to say anything else. I didn't want it. I didn't want the final restart, and I didn't want the one before that or the one before that. But um, usually in NASCAR racing, you get them. So you can't complain. you got to rise to the occasion. And uh, I got a good push from the all guy out there at the end. I don't really know what happened to him or how they got wrecked. But it's too bad for him because he did, he did his job for me. Um, so I appreciate that. And I'm just so relieved to get this snap on Ford Mustang and Victory Lane, all these guys. Uh, they, they do so much for me as well as – as well as Ford Performance and, and, and all of our partners. So I'm, I'm so excited about that and uh, excited to have another shot again to try tomorrow. And if you didn't think that he was a legitimate title contender after that performance on Thursday, well, he called a shot to radio. He said I was going to sweep the weekend tomorrow, and he did that. Man, the following night was equally as a dominant performance for Cendric and... Yep, sorry, equally as boring. But the thing that I found pretty interesting about this and actually didn't know this fact until prepping for the episode, but what makes them sweeping the weekend as a group and as a driver so impressive to me was that they did it with two different setups. Considering it was the same track, 24 hours apart, same time that the race was at, I mean, same temperatures, same tire, everything, I feel like that makes it all the more impressive. Yeah, obviously uh, an amazing weekend for us on this 22 team, uh, you know, getting snap on two victories. They've been a longtime partner of Team Penske, so really happy to do that in their 100th year. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to describe the amount of preparation work that goes into making a weekend like this possible. I, you know, I said it in my post-race interview. You know, we, we started with the weekend with one setup, and we decided to, to take our lumps and try and learn something for the rest of the year. And uh, it, with, with the ability to win both races with, with two different setups is, is, is really impressive uh, for my team. So I'm proud of that effort and proud to be part of it, proud to be driving such fast race cars and uh, proud to get full performance of 1-2 tonight. As I mentioned, no bones about it. The racing sucked. Uh, I, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I, I call it like it is. So, sorry. But it was really fun to see Harrison Burton and Noah Gregson getting into a little scrap after the race. Um, they got into a little tussle on track, and Harrison confronted Noah. No, uh, Harrison was wearing his mask. Noah was not. Um, Harrison was upset, pushed Noah a little bit. Noah wasn't going to take no crap from him. So, he almost connected with a vicious right hook. Um, that was crazy. We, we didn't really get that good of a camera shot, but Michael Annette and Timmy Hill were just like watching and they were like, nope, these kids can do it, but I ain't about that life. 
no penalties were announced. Um, I do like the intensity, but please, optics-wise and just physical health-wise, Noah, please wear a mask. I'm begging you, kid. Um, I get it was right after the race, though, and he was, you know, just kind of getting ready to do stuff. So I'll give him a pass this time, but fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Or maybe it's the other way around. Anyways, uh, we had some truck action as well um, for what we saw, which is about half the race until Mother Nature spoiled the party. It was fine. Um, <laughs> not great beating a dead horse here. But the race was rain-shortened, and it wound up being a guy who also got his first win of the of his career over the weekend, and he's been hella aggressive on restarts all year long, and it paid off at the final restart, which we didn't know at that time was going to be it. But it was for Sheldon Creed. The GMS racing driver wins his first career race. Rain shortened a little bittersweet, but hey, a win's a win, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't even think it was going to rain at, at the beginning. And I even asked uh, if that was an option. I didn't, I don't know. I never got told it was going to rain. So um, just played out the first stage. We were pretty tight. Um, my teammates were pretty good and, and clean air was really big. Um, came to pit and a bunch of people took two. We got four and I feel like that's what, that was huge for us because people stayed out on old tires and I could really fire off on that. Uh, and then we had back-to-back -back restarts there at the beginning of stage two and um, was able to go three wide and then just be really aggressive uh, where I needed to be there at the beginning. And then I was really tight. Once we got rolling, I was chattering the fronts, but uh, clean air is king in these trucks. So um, honestly, I think the restarts is what did it for me and not a I've been trying to be really good at restarts and uh, I think that just comes from the off-road stuff, just having to be so aggressive uh, in short races. So um, just hats off to my guys for giving me a truck that I could, I could drive and, and be aggressive with and make moves that I want to um, where we struggled with that at the beginning of the year. So uh, trucks are coming around. Uh, GMS fab shops doing awesome, getting trucks back to us. And um, I feel like we're just picking up, picking up, uh, momentum and uh, I think you saw that with all, all of our trucks tonight uh, Zane did really good Brett was good Tyler was also fast so uh, just us as an organization I think we're getting better and better and um, we got really good tracks coming up for us I may have seen a tweet from somebody out there so forgive me for not knowing but I want to say that this is the first race weekend that all three NASCAR National Series had first time winners in a while uh, I don't know who but I mean or, or first-time winners on new track. No, that wasn't it. I think it was you had a first-time winner in the Cup Series, which was Cole Custer. A first-time winner in the Xfinity Series, or in IndyCar, excuse me, which is Felix Rosenquist for Chip Ganassi, and maybe for trucks. So, I don't know. That that was a whole blabber. I should probably cut that out, but I'm too lazy not to cut that out. And, you know, I like giving it to you guys straight. All right, one more race from Kentucky, and then we'll be done with this terrible track. Arkham Menard Series, um, that race was indeed a race. And that's code for it sucked too. <laughs> Ty Gibbs won it once again. No shocker there. Held off Brett Holmes at the end, who is getting pretty close to a race victory. It'll be pretty cool if he could put that 23 in victory lane. I, I feel like he, he's going to have a good shot to do so down the road soon. Haley Deegan and Drew Dollar had a little bit of a rift earlier on in the race. Number four of Deegan wound up um, DNFing for the first time this year. But it was all about Ty Gibbs, man. He outlasted Holmes. He outlasted Michael Self. He outlasted Sam Mayer and got yet another victory this season for Joe Gibbs Racing. It was a, it was a fun time. You know, I, I really trained hard for this race because it's going to be a little warm, so I always train hard for all my races. So it wasn't that big of a deal. It got warm. It 
kind of cool off set halfway through the race, but you know, it was a fun time. I got put up to a challenge there and somehow I came out with a victory. So it was a, it was a blast and I can't thank everybody enough. Monster Energy, uh, Terrible Herps, Toyota, everybody that helps me get through this deal. My team, JG, JGR, this, it's, my, uh, it's my family, so I can't thank them enough. All right, last thing I'm going to say about Kentucky, it could be demolished and I would only feel bad for the people who would have their jobs affected, like the track president, all the security that works there, the marketing people. Like that's who I would feel bad for. The race, it, the track sucks. It's, I'm sorry, it's done. I mean, at least right now, you know, like before it was repaved, there was some character to it. It was super bumpy. There was uh, multi, multiple grooves that you could race in. But I mean, we just don't need it. I mean, I think Jordan Bianchi said it on the Teardown podcast. Like, what does it bring? It's not a unique market. Like, it's by Cincinnati. Whoop-de-doo. Why do we need Cincinnati? You have Indianapolis. That's two hours away. You have Michigan. That's right there, too. You have Chicago. That's right there, too. Kentucky is not needed on the cup schedule. Let me say it louder for people in the back. Kentucky is not needed on the cup schedule. We just don't need it, people. Keep it for Xfinity if you want. Keep it for the truck. Keep it for ARCA. I don't care. I kind of do, actually. I, I really don't think it belongs in the sport right now. There's way better venues and tracks that we can go to, but that's enough pooping on Kentucky for a year, and we'll probably do it again next year. Bye, Kentucky. All right. Now, I was really looking forward to the all-star race from Bristol Motor Speedway on Wednesday night, and let me make something clear. It was way better than previous all-star races at Charlotte, and it was way better than the prior Sunday at Kentucky. I want to make that crystal clear. Because we had the choose cone in effect, which if you don't know by now, read up on it, please. The underglow, numbers slid back, short track, all-star race. I mean, there's so much going on in so little time, and there was a lot of storylines to follow. First off, we had the open. Eric Almarola, William Byron, and Matt Benedetto each won and raced their way into the open via the stage wins. Clint Boyer got the overall fan vote, so those four drivers wound up being the four that transferred into the main show coincidence that they also are the four drivers that are in the playoffs right now based on points i don't think so um bubba wallace apparently did not win the overall fan vote um i find that hard to believe but i'm forced to believe it but he wouldn't have gotten in anyway if he won the fan vote because michael mcdowell junked his car in stage one and just hooked the left on the straightaway and wrecked him and uh yeah he was not too complimentary of the god praising Texan uh, text that he was going to receive after the race and then uh, watched the replay and said, yeah, what a joke he is. So that was that. Um, and frankly, I don't really blame Bubba for that. The Open was good. Um, the main event itself was not amazing. You had stages of 55 laps, 35 laps, 35 laps, and then a 15-lap sprint to the finish. There was no reward for winning the stage. There was no inverts. There was no lineup, one, two, three, four, based on the stages you win. It it lacked. Uh, I don't really know why. It just did. But there was still a million dollars on the line. And whenever you put that on the line and drivers on a short track, you're going to get some interesting racing. And, I mean, we saw it. Like I said, it was better than Charlotte. Don't get me wrong. It was way better than Kentucky. Don't get me wrong. It just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. That's probably part of the media's fault because we hyped it up a lot. Um, but you know who doesn't care about any of that? The man who got that million dollars, joining his father in becoming the only other driver to win the all-star race 
in its history at a place other than Charlotte, which is interesting in and of itself. He had the quickest car all night. He won stage two. He won stage three. And he wins the all-star race. Billy Clyde, Chase Elliott, you have won $1 million. Yeah, just a, uh, you know, a super special night, um, a special event. You know, any, any race is hard to win, but, but this is a special race to win, uh, something that locks you in the all-star race for life. And, and that's, um, that, that's extremely special to join dad and, and winning this race. Uh, means a lot to me as well. Um, just, just a big thanks to all our partners, Unifirst, uh, Napa Hooters, Kelly Blue Book, Mountain Dew, uh, Chevrolet, uh, all our partners that, that make this go around, they, um, you know, they've stood by us through some, you know, some, some not, so, uh, not so spectacular years. Uh, so we've had a rough couple weeks, and uh, we ruined Mr. Hendrick's birthday on Sunday by running uh, pathetic. Uh, so it was really nice to uh, slightly make up for that tonight. And again, if you live under a rock, but if you watch the race, you know, there were some fans back in the grandstands, and that was really cool and really fun. I believe there were about 20,000 of them. But I have some thoughts about that. First, though, here is what the winner had to say about celebrating with them hard on the front stretch and just having them back made it feel like a sporting event again, which has been lacking during this pandemic. Yeah, you know, to me, tonight felt like an, an event again, and I feel like we've been, we've been missing that piece for for a couple months. Um, and it just felt really good to get to get NASCAR back. I mean, NASCAR is built on the fans. And, uh, you know, once the race starts, it's hard to engage with them because you can't hear them. But, you know, before a race, the atmosphere was energetic again. I felt like the I felt like the vibe was back and I felt like that that fire and intensity in me was back uh, even more so than it than it has been a piece that had been missing. And I think that's driven by the people, the cars pulling in the, um, you know, the pre-race parties and everything that you see. Um, and I actually went up in the stands. I snuck up there with my mask on and watched the uh I watched the open from the back straightaway and, you know, I'm looking around up there and I'm seeing all these, uh, all these, you know, kids and families and, and people wearing their respective drivers and a lot of nine gear. And, and you just don't realize how much impact you have on people you've never met and you never will meet um, who, you know, genuinely want to see me do well and they don't even know me, you know, and, and um, it's pretty dang cool to experience that. So I felt like I had a, a special night sitting up there with them uh, watching that open from, you know, from the grandstands, uh, really seeing and, and, and getting back uh, to, to the roots of, of what, you know, the sport's built on. And then to engage with them after the race, just make, you know, to me, it made it mean that much more. So, as I said, there was about 20,000 or so fans uh, socially distanced the best that they could at Bristol, which holds about 130. So math says you're able to do it pretty effectively. I'm unaware if there were any temperature checks that were being done entering the facility, but I do know and we saw that there were no masks mandated while people were sitting down in their seats. Now, you might be saying, well, they should wear masks when they're sitting in seats, or you might be saying they're sitting in seats. That's fine. Either way for me, I I could go 50-50 on that. I probably would wear it some of the time. I probably wouldn't because I don't want to be sweating my balls off sitting down watching a race being entertained. But my gripe here is like you know people need to go to the bathroom people need to go get food people need to walk around people need to leave why not mandate a mask when you are going somewhere in the facility because you're going to bump into people you're talking you're spreading particles the science and the facts about this virus during this pandemic says 
wearing a mask is effective in stopping the transmission of it. So why not make people wear them? Like, I don't understand. I think there was a mandate that you had to wear one upon entering the facility, but it was kind of like, once you're in, make yourself at home, do whatever you want. And I mean, like he said, I mean, there were tons of fans right at the start finish line on the front stretch, not wearing masks, not distance. I don't blame them because in the heat of the moment, heat of the moment, it would be hype as hell to have your favorite driver win and be back at a sporting event. But it's like, it blows my mind because it's like there's no way that you're going to be able to track, you know, how many people that went to this event contracted COVID-19. But as I said in one of my early columns when NASCAR was starting back up, make no bones about it. People that went to this race, whether they be fans, crew members, drivers, they're going to get it. It's a matter of if they're asymptomatic or not, if they get tested, if they quarantine, all of these things because – the fact of the matter is, when you are at a sporting event, not wearing a mask, not socially distanced, shoulder to shoulder with people, touching, screaming, open your mouth, <laughs> you know, it's it's going to happen, okay? And if, if I had the chance to go to that race, what I have as a fan, I would lean towards, yeah. And I had a bunch of buddies that went, and I'm happy for them, and I was jealous that they went. And I'm all for fans going to sporting events and being uh, your own risk type of thing. But it's just a bad look. I mean, when you're the only sport in town, and this is the all-star race, and your most popular driver wins, and I get him not wearing a mask when he gets out of the car, too, because, I mean, he, he just finished a race. He just won a million bucks. You're, you're on a, a euphoria. You're on a high. But then, I mean, when you're going to dap up people at the start-finish line, and those people that are you're dapping up aren't wearing a mask, it's like, uh, I don't know. I'm torn on it. It just seems irresponsible for SMI and the sanctioning body as a whole to not really mandate that. But I mean, like seeing them there, hearing them there, it was unbelievable. So I'm torn on it, but I just wanted you to guys to get my thoughts on that. Um, so I'm shocked that nobody asked chase this, but I had to, how's he going to spend the money? Hey chase. Um, what are you going to do with the money? That's a great question. Uh, Blaney was giving me a hard time about Mountain Dew earlier today, so I think I'm just going to send a truck to his house, and they're going to unload about 14 uh, pallets of Mountain Dew in his driveway this week and uh, see what he does with that. Thank you. I'll be curious to see if he actually follows through with that and if Blaney tweets something, then he delivers a bunch of body armor or if he like gets advanced auto parts to help chase his truck or something. I mean, that'd be funny. Crew Chief Alan Gustafson, he enjoyed his first all-star race victory. I'm sure he's going to get some of the pot and some of the winnings of that $1 million. Here he is breaking down the evening. You know, we started 13th, so we knew we had to pass some cars pretty quickly. And the uh, first Chevy was pretty fast, so he, he made some pretty quick ground there. And I don't remember where we got to after the, uh, after the first 55, but uh, certainly somewhere in the top three. Um, yeah, and, and we knew we were going to pit there and, and, and get a read on the tires and, and get an adjustment on the car, so we did that. And then uh, the next 35 went pretty well, and he was able to get past Kevin and get the lead. Um, and that was probably the toughest decision of the night is just, you know, when you have the lead, you don't want to give it up here. Our plan had been to pit then uh, and get tires, but with the lead, it made it a little bit more difficult, but we stuck to our guns there and pitted. Um, worked out there, you know, I think Ryan was the only one who stayed out and, 
and Brad took two, and, and fortunately for us, everything went smooth from there. I think having a tire advantage on those guys certainly paid off, and, um, you know, Kyle was getting pretty good there. where I could see him making some ground, so he certainly made a push there at the end to make it interesting, but, uh, yeah, the car was good, really happy. The pit stops were great, so just uh, about as, as, as smooth as a night as you could ask for. If you guys are watching, you saw that Kyle Busch was coming on strong at the end. I feel like if he had five more laps, he honestly might have been able to pass Chase Elliott and get that victory, but he just ran out of time and clean air still at Bristol, a short track with the modified package, which is better, by the way. Clean air still king, folks. Always has been. I mean, it was all right, I guess. Um, you know, certainly wish we had some more speed and some more agility in our M&M's Toyota to be able to get ourselves further up front, closer to the front. And uh, we're making some time, making some some spots there a little bit um, coming to that last 15 lap run. And I think if I could have got Brad and then, um, you know, maybe restarted where Brad did on the inside lane, I don't know, maybe, maybe things would have been a little bit differently. I wouldn't have had to pass Brad and the 12. Um, and I don't know, I, I had plenty of time to get there. So what am I joking? Um, just, I don't know. That's about, that's about all we had, you know, it just feels like, um, running real hard, trying real hard and, um, doing all I can with, uh, with the four tires underneath me. I had my hand up in the queue on the zoom press conference to ask him this question. Jeff Glock got to it before me, big wig Jeff. Um, he asked it, but we really haven't been able to talk with Kyle about his season so far and the struggles that he and the 18 group have been having why this year has been so un Kyle Bush like zero playoff points zero victories not running up front in the top five not contending for wins he didn't really sugarcoat it here it has been a big time struggle yeah it's tough you know we're we're struggling right now there's just no speed in our race cars for some reason I don't know what's going on it just um you know you gotta drive 10 it, it seemed like tonight even when we were mired in 10th I was driving 110 percent giving it everything I had just to maintain where the hell I was you know and then that's not going forward. That's normally not indicative of, of us, Joe Gibbs Racing, Toyota, or whatever, you know. Um, so it's, it's certainly been frustrating this year. And it seems like anytime I fall into a rhythm and I just back up myself just a little bit to 90, 95%, I'm going backwards, you know. I'm getting past and I'm getting slowed down. And, um, you know, so it's just you, 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 can't, you can't run at 100% all the time, every lap. When you do, you start making mistakes. And so, um, you know, we – We've just been run into a lot this year too. When we've when we've had nothing happening, we just get run into, and then uh, those are bad finishes as well. So I, I don't know. We can chalk it up to a whole bunch of things, but um, lack of a better term is we got to be faster. Third place was Kevin Harvick. He wound up pitting before the final 15 lap stage, and he drove all the way back up to third because, as he mentions, they weren't going to be able to pass the nine car on the track based on raw speed, so they had to do something different. They did. Almost worked out for him, but a drive back to third, not bad, but not a million bucks. It was okay. We were on all sides of the of the handling, and you know, just never really, never really got that right. Had a had a good um, you know good strategy there at the end. Just took a couple laps too long to uh, to get past. You know, some of the cars that we needed to pass just needed a couple more laps to to catch the leaders. But um, you know, just weren't going to beat the nine. You know, heads up where we were running third or fourth or whatever it was without doing something different. And a bunch of them, a bunch of them didn't do anything, but stay out and, and wound up having to pass a couple more than we needed to. But, um, you know, other, other than that, our, our, um, our Bush slide Apple Ford was, was okay. And, and just, um, uh, came up a little short. He also mentioned having more lanes to race and the lack 
of other rubber being put down, like if the other series were there, the Xfinity, the Truck Series, ARCA, Modifies, whatever. Since there were no other companion events that weekend or leading up to the race, there wasn't really that much rubber that contributed to multiple lanes coming in. And the PJ1 that they put down on the bottom lane, Kevin says, wasn't really that great for the racing and didn't really put on a good show. Um, But he also was a man of his word in the sense of moving this race around. Like, he wants to move the championship race around. He's been an advocate of that for a long, long time. I think as long as this playoff format has been in existence. And he just like the championship, he's still an advocate of moving the all-star race around, although Bristol was better than Charlotte. You know, I'd like to see it moved around. I don't I don't think it should stay in, in one spot. You know, I think, um, you know, we could definitely, you know, have the track prepared better, you know, if, if we did – uh, race here again you know they didn't even heck they didn't even clean the outside lane one time so uh never really never really had a chance to even to even uh get high enough to um you know to get that that lane to come in you know the second lane came in a couple you know a couple cars made a little bit of ground but you know the bottom was just so dominant that um you know you, you had to run most of your laps down there so you heard Kevin mention what I mentioned before um, about the track not really being prepared that well, the PJ1 not being super effective, and I think he may have hinted at Kentucky there as well. Chase Elliott actually disagrees with this, though. I want to give you both sides of the spectrum, one that didn't really like the track prep and one that thought it was fine. I don't think it's a coincidence that the guy who thought it was fine wound up winning the race um, at Bristol, that is, and getting a million bucks, but I want to give you both sides of that. Uh I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, the track prep was no different today than it has been the past two or three years we've been coming here. Uh, the difference was the length of the event was just not long enough for us to, you know, uh, get the grip strip up off the bottom to where the momentum around the top became the dominating factor. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, you know, by the end of a 500-lap race, the top is the place to be. And at the end of a 100-and-some-odd lap race, the bottom is the place to be. So – you know, there's still a place to be, so I'm not really sure that it matters. Last audio bite from Kevin Harvick here. He always spits facts, and that's why I like to give you his sound bites here because he's kind of the elder statesman of the garage, and he's really good for a sound bite. But this ain't it, Chief. Come on. Was Kevin Harvick a fan of the underglow? <laughs> I wish mine would have fallen off. <laughs> the only person the only person that I talked to that thought that that underglow life was good was my 8-year-old. So, um you know, if that, hopefully the kids liked it because that was, that was, uh, it, it was definitely something that, that is, I'm, I'm way out of that age group for the, for the, uh, I guess you call it the underglow light. Oh, Kevin, what are we going to do with you? So here's my thing. I actually became a fan more and more as the night went on. And as I saw more of the cars on track of the slid back number placement, it, it's, it's like a do or die thing. If they put it behind the rear wheel, if they put the number on the quarter panel, I'm out. But if they want to go this route and put the numbers right before the rear tire and put a sponsor logo on the door, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I'm not going to say this is the end of the world. I'm never watching NASCAR again, and I don't think a lot of people will say that either. I still don't love it. I'd prefer the traditional look. But if this will attract more sponsors, (laughs) then NASCAR is going to do whatever they got to do. And I don't think the drivers hate it that much either. I thought that there was going to be way more opposition to the numbers than the underglow, but it seemed like on Twitter, it was actually the opposite. The underglow I did like. Um, It would be better, in my opinion, if the individual teams were able to choose the specific LED colors 
and not just under the rear, but all around, like like Kurt Busch and Kyle Larson had at the Nashville banquet when burnouts on the boulevard happened. Like Kurt Busch, instead of having amber, if he had neon fluorescent green, Jimmy Johnson, instead of having amber, if he had like purple, and if they didn't have it on the rear, but if they had it coming out of the side skirts, the rear, and maybe out of the front as well, I feel like that'd be badass. Um, and I know that Kevin mentioned the only one that likes it is his eight-year-old, but saw a lot of feedback from kids that were watching and their parents were basically saying, yeah, my, my kids don't really watch NASCAR, but they liked what they saw there. I, I'm a fan of it. And it's not cause it's like a little kid in me or anything like that. I just think it, it adds something. Um, it doesn't affect how the product is on track, just like the slid back numbers. That's why I wouldn't lose sleep over it. I don't think it takes away from anything. Um, I get that the traditionalists aren't really about that life, but you know, you got to adapt. I, I feel like it'd be cool if they tried it maybe one more time for a night race on an asphalt track with each team picking their individual lighting. Then if that maybe looks better, you can try it again with teams picking their individual lighting and also on the sides and on the front, AKA all around the car. And then maybe you can sit down with some drivers, some team owners, some sponsors and reevaluate for 2021 and beyond whether or not you want to make this a more permanent change for night races. I for I tweeted, I, I said, give the teams the liberty to pick their color, run it at every single night race, regardless of asphalt or concrete, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Um, I, I'm a fan of the underglow slid back numbers. I don't love, but I don't hate as much as I originally did. Um, and also for the underglow, some people brought up ideas of like, they can be ever changing. So like if you're a lap down, the underglow is red. If you're the leader, if you're in the top five, your underglow can be green. If you're, you know, in the top 10 or if you're in danger of going a lap down, your under underglow could be yellow stuff like this, you know, like playoff drivers, they can have, they can have, um, I don't know, red underglow. There's a lot of options. You know what I mean? I do like the manufacturer identity, but I don't think that it works for this specific avenue. Maybe if you want to like put the windshield banners where they used to have the driver names, but now I think it just says NASCAR Cup Series on it. If you want to make those windshield banners like red for Toyota, blue for Ford, um, amber for Chevrolet, whatever, I'm cool with that. But Underglow, I think individual teams should select it. It would look way, way better and be sponsor dependent, which always makes them happy. So as I said, not an amazing race, but it was way better than what we would have seen at Charlotte and have seen at Charlotte. And I think that we should be grateful for that. I do have a gripe because there was so much talk about the choose cone rule being in effect and we didn't see any of it. Fox, what's going on? Show the choose cone rule. You should have a you should have like a gopher cam like Digger used to be right on the choose cone. That, that's perfect opportunity right there. And, and if you don't have that, I understand. Fine. Just show them picking the inside of the outside lane. We didn't even see that. We saw nothing. We had to rely on some of the reporters at track that are confined to the press box to know which lane was chosen by which driver and scan the radio, which isn't even free anymore. So I was like, oh, that, that just grinded my gears. That pissed me off. So why don't we get choose cone coverage? Why don't we have any inversions? Why don't we have any rewards for the stage winners? Ugh, I don't know. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, though. It just was. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. But show us the damn choose cone, would you? 
a brief race preview of this upcoming weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. I feel so negative today because Kentucky was awful. The all-star race didn't live up to the hype. And we got Texas this weekend, and it's not going to be good. And it's so damn long. There's no freaking reason why you should have 500 miles at Texas. I'm sorry. I kn- you guys know that I'm usually peppy, happy-go-lucky, but uh, it's just not a good stretch. I don't know. It- it's just not. O'Reilly Auto Parts 500 this Sunday around 3 p.m. Eastern Time on NBCSN, I believe. There's just no need for 500 miles at this place, people. Give me 400. Give me 350 every day of the week. Oh, Eddie Gossage, please listen to me. He had a really bad take this week on Twitter about um, sponsors and paint schemes. I encourage you guys to check that out. Uh, but I'd love to have Eddie on the show, and we can have some some constructive discourse about that conversation and more. Um, there all are also going to be fans allowed at Texas this weekend. I think their capacity is around like 130,000. That's what Eddie said on Fast Talk this week for PRN. But I want to say that they're going to have like Ten to 20,000, something like that. So if you're going, please be safe. Wear a mask. Take all the proper precautions. Denny Hamlin's your defending winner of this race. Kevin Harvick won this race in the playoffs last year. Jimmy is now in the playoff bubble. Kyle Busch still looking for his first win and first playoff point of this season. I really hope this race ain't boring. I really do. I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch all of it, um, but I'm definitely going to be able to watch some of it, and we'll be following along. But... I mean, this race is going to take like three and a half, four hours, I feel like. And it's just, I'm getting to that point where I'm like, you know what? I've watched every lap of every race whenever I can. But like 500 miles at Texas, 500 miles at Atlanta, I can't have it. I don't want it. I can't have it. Um, Xfinity and Truck Series, they will also be in action. I think those races will be a little better, especially Xfinity. We've seen how their package on mile and a half is way better than the Cup Series. And, God, I love the truck series. We all know that. NBC has all the racing action from here on out for the rest of the year besides the truck series, whose races will remain on Fox Sports 1. Be sure to catch it all this weekend. Look, Nets of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. How about a new racing series by two NASCAR Hall of Famers? SRX, Superstar Racing Experienced has been launched by Tony Stewart and Ray Evernham. How about that? Also some help from Sandy Montag and George Pine, former NASCAR executives. One big hurdle to cross is a television deal, and this series, SRX, already has one with CBS. They are aiming for six races in 2021, and it's supposed to kind of be like a short track IROC type deal. Um, There's going to be a random driver and crew chief pairing for each race. There's been rumored to have some drivers involved and some tracks involved. When Tony Stewart's in the mix, you know that Eldora is going to be involved. They said it's going to be asphalt, dirt. They don't really know the specifics yet, but um, speculation is that it's going to be kind of similar to like a late model stock car where it's going to be a short track made car that's also compatible with dirt and asphalt. Um, Eldora's been mentioned. Nashville Fairgrounds have been mentioned. Five Flag Speedway in Pensacola. South Boston Speedway in Virginia, Knoxville in Iowa. That's a dirt track that's possible to be run on. Martinsville, Bristol. Who knows? Like, the thing I love about this is that the possibilities are literally endless, and there are so many options to go to. I mean, drivers, too. Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been mentioned. Greg Biffle, Carl Edwards, Fernando Alonso, Tony Kanan, Sebastian Vettel, Kyle Larson, Bubba Pollard, Brad Sweet. Endless possibilities here. 
Um, this is what's so cool about it because they're going to try to get all the best short track racers. Excuse me. They're going to try to get all the best racers, period, to compete on short tracks, whether they're from a dirt background, an American asphalt background, a European background, anything. They're going to get the best of the best. It's going to be amazing. Apparently similar to IROC, uh, but again, we don't know much as of yet. I do know that I cannot wait for this. It's going to be very, very fun to watch, and I will be glued to my TV, hopefully maybe at some of those events watching them. Hey, if you want to hire me, CBS, please, I'm available. Bowman Gray Speedway. Bowman Gray Stadium has canceled their 2020 season, unfortunately. The Madhouse will not be mad this year. The Daytona Road Course and Texas this weekend will be selling tickets to fans, so if you're in the area and you'd like to go, please take the proper precautions and get your tickets online. Anthony Clements, who's the owner of Jeremy Clements Racing, was fined $10,000 for violating NASCAR's COVID-19 protocols. Apparently, Steve Carnes, who was a sponsor on the 51 at Kentucky, was holding the pit sign, and he wasn't an essential uh, personnel, so apparently they were fined for that, which that's a little ticky-tacky, as Toby Christie said on the final half weekly, in my opinion. Dave Rogers was fined $5,000 for a loose lug nut on Riley Herbst's 18 car after the Xfinity race. Brendan Gaughan, unfortunately, has coronavirus, but he seems okay. Best thoughts and wishes to him as he recovers through this journey. There was a drive-by shooting at Chase and Maris Marissa Briscoe's house. He posted that on Twitter. That was pretty insane. And the Cash App, not Venmo, but the Cash App, will sponsor Bubba Wallace with a bright-ass green car for five races as a primary sponsor in 2020 and will remain an associate sponsor for the rest of the year as well. And it is also a multi-year deal. So look for that car next year on track as well. Whew, a lot of talking today. I thought it was going to be a little shorter, but wound up being a little bit longer. Where have you heard that before? I know. That'll wrap things up for episode 66 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you like what you heard, do me a favor. Do what my dad did. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud. Wherever you get your podcasts, it is likely that we are available there. And if we're not there, drop me a line and let me know, and I'll try to get that fixed for you. Next week, I will actually be doing a very special episode with somebody very important to me in my life, and I think you guys will enjoy it. It's not going to be as serious. It's going to be a little bit fun. Um, I don't want to jinx anything because hopefully the time will work out. It's not about working out. It's about me finding the time. Um, but after that, I might take a little break. Not might, Probably will because I'm going to be out of the state for a little bit, and we're going to be having some fun. So... In the meantime, stay safe, stay inside, keep washing those hands, and we'll catch you on the flip side, party people.